Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to the third annual Strong Language and Violent Scenes Christmas Special. Yay! Ding dong, merrily on high, blah 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 That's the spirit. We are still the podcast, giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I am also still Mitch Bain, a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I am not still Andy Stewart. What have you become? Ah, well, I'm full of the, the joys of Christmas, so I think I'm more akin to an elf or some kind of human sugar cookie gingerbread man that's a spirit okay good like to hear that merry christmas my friend and to you my friend and to you and to all our listeners out there merry christmas indeed this is our last episode of 2020 official on the feeds yeah that's not to say that there won't be anything else popping up between now and the end of the year who can say but yeah in terms of the official production schedule this is the last one and what a year it's been it's been amazing, actually. It's so crazy to think back to the first episode of the year, which was John Crennan doing Congo. Like, that Jesus, seems okay, like yeah. <laughs> that seems like an absolute eternity ago. Um, like I know that we've only been doing this for two and a half years, but if you asked me when we did that, I still would have said two thousand and nine. <laughs> Four years after this film came out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. John Crennan, first episode of the year. I know, that's as mad as... that feels like forever ago. Yeah, do you remember the other week when I told you that The Invisible Man came out this year? It came out in February, in fact. It didn't even come out like at the start of the year. That feels like an age ago, but yet it's more recent than we had John on. Yeah, like also like episodes we've had this year, like um, Eric Penikoff doing Mortal Kombat was this year. And we had our last, uh, our first and last live show this year because of COVID. We we had Graham Hughes on and we did Godzilla just before Fright Fest. It was amazing. Yep, and our last in-person guest of the year was Adam Stovall. Yeah, and look what happened after that, Mitch. Fucking hell, that's the start of a beautiful story there. Yeah, 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 that all worked out really nicely. <laughs> yeah, like, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's like we haven't had an in-person guest on the show in nine months. We recorded in the same room, I would say, once. One time. One, we one did one time. minisode together, I recall. Yep. There was this one window where it, we were allowed to do it and it was convenient for us to do it and I came over and we recorded the minisode in the same room. And that's the only time we've done that. And I've got to say, Mitch, I've got to say right now, my heart aches a little bit because this is the third one of these that we've done, as you've already said. Very first year we did Christmas Evil, then last year, of course, we did Jack Frost. This is the first one of these that we've done where we haven't been in the same room. And to be honest, I miss the camaraderie, I miss the festivity of it all. Yeah, I miss the couple hours beforehand where we get a few drinks in, eat some Christmas finger food and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and um, and watch the film, uh, which we did the previous two years. I remember specifically Christmas Evil being a particular rummy, and it is a <laughs> shame that we haven't been able to do that this year. But I think that in the spirit of kind of like keeping to certain traditions, I do have a swirling orb of red wine. Uh, and I too have some metallic clanking tins of beer. Excellent. Okay, cool. So we are keeping the tradition alive, even though we're not in the same room. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I have a stomach full of sushi and I'm ready for this. Fantastic. Now, you did say, and you ran through on the minisode on Monday, that you had a couple of ideas for what we were going to do for this Christmas episode. And I am always quite happy to kind of defer to your superior knowledge for this because I think that you will have seen way more Christmas horror movies than me. You'll know what works and what doesn't. We're obviously already doing Elves on Friday. We've already done Silent Night, Deadly Night with Carl, so we didn't think it was necessarily quite right to do Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. In what is increasingly appearing to me as being a bit of a masterstroke, you decided that our best shout this time around was Santa Slay. Yeah, going back to 2005 for David Steinman's Santa's Sleigh, starring none other than Bill Goldberg. Noted Jewish wrestler Bill Goldberg. <laughs> yes, playing the role of noted Christian saint, St. Saint Nicholas. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what were the kind of driving factors for you picking this for us tonight? Well, as I did mention, a lot of the driving factor for me picking it was sheer luck because I did do a small draw just for my own benefit because I enjoyed the, the thrill of it all. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, were you just kind of like mumbling the stakes have never been higher to yeah, yourself? Yeah, I, like, I was like sweating. But Excellent. I just picked a bunch of things I thought would be quite fun to do. Mm-hmm. There was various things in there. There was things that I didn't necessarily want to do but might have been quite fun to talk about, like some of the other Silent Night, Deadly Night sequels, but they're quite, again... A lot of these things that I really wanted to do are quite difficult to get your hands on. Like, as I've said, the one that I desperately wanted to do was Dial Code Santa Claus. I've got to say, um, a couple of people have been in touch with like YouTube links and stuff for that since you mm. mentioned it. So let's not rule out doing that in the future. And like you say, there's some Vinegar Syndrome chat about that as well. So I'm kind of still hoping that there's room to do that. Maybe for next year. Yeah, absolutely. But I thought Santa Slay might be a fun one to do because... Well, I mean, you've, you've now seen it, so you know why I thought that. Aye, and you certainly weren't wrong. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, this is this is a very interesting one. Um, I have some uh some slightly anomalous opinions about this. I would say, and I don't mean anomalous with like the general public. I mean with in terms of the things that I generally like and don't like about films. Oh right, okay, wow. wow. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Like, um, I have, so I've taken three pages of type notes for this, which is uh-huh. I would say considerably above average. But yeah, this um, subverted not only my expectations about Christmas horror movies, but also my understanding of my own opinions. Sure, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, so lovely. You may, have picked, you may have picked a title that was more subversive than you realised. I'm very excited to see where this goes now, I have to be honest. So, someone should be doing a 30 second synopsis right now. Well, someone should be doing a 30 second synopsis, Mitch, but what I do want to tell you, and I don't know how you're going to feel about this, is that if you were to jump back to roughly this time last year, and <laughs> okay. listen to the Jack Frost episode, you will hear, in fact, that it was me that did the last one. Is that a fact? What an interesting piece of information for you to pull from thin air right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess that's going to be me doing the synopsis of this one. Then. Yeah. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be. Delightful. Thanks very much. Okay, um, right, give me a wee sec. I'll give you as long as it takes for me to put 30 seconds on the clock, which I've okay, now that's done. Fine. That's fine. Right. <laughs> okay, right. Um, okay, 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 I'm ready. Okay. Three, two, one. Begin. We find out that uh, Santa is the son of Satan. He lost a bet with an angel, which means that for a thousand years on his birthday, which is Christmas, instead of killing a bunch of people or a bunch of people dying, he has to bring joy to children and families the world over. It just so happens that in the year that this film was shot, the thousand years are over. He is now free, but continuing to use his Santa roots of travel to go and inflict terror and horror on people, specifically in hell. Stop! Time! Christmas Eve. Time. Time. Okay, that was quite a lot of backstory, but I think also reasonably close. Yeah, it was okay. It was, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, it was like a solid six, I think. Yeah, it was all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's find out this thing. So, this pre-credit sequence is a lot to unpack um we meet a well-to-do family i would i i would say on, this is bonkers um, on christmas yeah it's a, it's fucking wild um so a few recognizable faces in mm-hmm. the family that we meet in the first instance here yeah um is rebecca gayhart from urban legend in here yeah and fran drescher fran drescher yeah also um annie and osia sorrell from cruel intentions too yeah and an uncredited james Kahn. Unbelievable! Right? Like, <laughs> like, like the fact that, like, I, I mean, I don't know what the story behind all these people converging for this four-minute scene is, but it's pretty remarkable stuff. I also think that this is actually just really funny. And even before uh, Santa arrives and chaos reigns, watching this kind of materialistic waspy family neb each other for a couple of minutes, I actually thought was really funny. There's some stuff going on around this dinner table that is wholly inappropriate for the season. Um, not least of all the argument about uh, I think there's a discussion about one of the characters being as dry as the Christmas turkey and then maybe some slight on James Can, where perhaps that's his fault because he doesn't spend enough time on foreplay yep there's um, infidelity there is sexual underperformance loads of things uh, everybody is getting both battles the, the infidelity thing is not covert not covert in the slightest, like, and also a bit stomach churning because the under the table hand shenanigans kind of go on, I guess, and and, and kind of tandem with the discussion. So there's this weird moment where they're talking about eating, and like the guy's fingers are like creeping up the woman's leg, and then it's like, 
someone says a line along the lines of dig in and then he like really scoops his fingers like between her legs and it's it's a bit yeah, it's, it's pretty gross yeah that, that's bringing my turkey back yeah, agreed. It's 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 fairly stomach churning. However, we don't have too long to dwell on that because uh, Santa comes down the chimney during Grace. Powerful visual, a great intro to Bill Goldberg as Santa here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get some soot trickling down the, the chimney. I know that the, the kind of family dog is uh, vexed by this and starts kind of barking, and then he doesn't just like emerge out the chimney like a normal person. Bill Goldberg erupts through a brick chimney. Yeah. Can we talk about the noise that Virginia makes when she greets Santa? Okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> it's like a very, like, gruff, guttural, onomatopoeic uh, grunting sound. Like honking <laughs> noise, almost. <laughs> Lovely. Um, uh, like it, 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 it struck me to the point that I rewound it and watched it again. Chaos reigns in this moment instantly. I have put together a bulleted list of what happens. Yeah, well, I've got to mention, if anyone's worried about this dog, you're right to be worried because the dog is a first to go. That dog is drop-kicked across that room at a velocity seldom seen. Yep, fucking goner. Um, Lobbed into a ceiling fan at one point as well, spins around in a circle, then gets thrown into the fireplace. Also, the patriarch of the family, his, uh, his hands are knifed to the table. Virginia's hair is set on fire. Also, then, her head is boiled in a vat of eggnog. Um, I believe a, um, somebody else is punted into a cabinet full of china. Um, somebody else is clubbed to death. One of the daughters is killed with a star from the top of the tree. That's thrown in shuriken fashion. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like with excellent technique. Um, also, yeah, like the, the, the dad, James Gann, also killed here with a turkey leg to the mouth. This all has happened between the two and four minute mark in this film. Yeah, uh, what I love about Santa in this and what I love about Bill Goldberg's performance is that Bill Goldberg is playing Goldberg, the wrestler. But dressed as Santa, he has yep. the ridiculous wrestler voice on the go. You're going to talk like that. One of those kind of things, uh, and he is so extra in this film. Like no one gets off easily. Like there's multiple layers to everyone's death. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like there, there's almost no one, virtually no one, whose death is just kind of like cast off casually. Like um, yeah, they're all they're all drawn out. They're all very kind of like lingery. And I think it's all the stronger for it. But you're right, he's 100% his wrestler persona who just so happens to be in his attitude. Yeah, and the, again, the only other difference is he has a full head of hair because he's normally bald. Yep, as a cue ball. We rip straight into a very long credit sequence at this point, which I don't want to dwell on too much because it kind of gives um, some exposition that we get explained to us a little bit more. We kind of see pages of a book that we'll see a little bit closer a little bit later on. But I do like the opening sequence quite a bit. It feels like it goes on for ages. Hmm. I remember being quite jarred when I first saw the credits start because they do start fairly cheaply, terribly, actually, as we kind of get the title of the film coming up specifically. Then once we get into the book, I kind of get past that quite quickly because it's relatively well rendered and well handled. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, the fact that it lasts like two and a half, three minutes um, is a couple of things that happen that kind of speak to the fact that the runtime for this is svelte. Uh, yeah yeah we're looking at 77 minutes here with credits yeah and the credits are long like i think that there's, <laughs> like, there's, there's like 70 minutes of movie in here uh-huh, uh-huh. and the post credits which i don't know if you stayed around for of course i did of course well, i did lovely but, lovely um we can we can double back to the kind of like like i say the backstory that we're introduced to when it gets kind of more fleshed out in the story but we do join the inhabitants of hell township on christmas eve at this point and we do meet Nicholas Yulson, played here by Douglas Smith, who listeners to this show might know best from The Bye Bye Man. Yeah, he was Elliot in The Bye Bye Man. In fact, there's quite a lot of well-known faces even after that opening scene. Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. I mean, um, Emily DeRaven has been in, like, Remember Me, Brick, things like that. Uh, the remake of The House of Eyes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, like, yeah, there's there's no shortage of recognisable people in this. But Nicholas Yulson, terrible name, um, <laughs> is working at a sandwich shop where he describes the contents of their holiday hoagie fairly sarcastically to a cantankerous bent of a woman called Mrs. Talbot. I hate Mrs. Talbot. Uh, the, the deli in question, Mitch, is the heaven-sent delicatessen. Scent spelled as in smell. Um, and I, I think it's important to talk about Mrs. Talbot at some length because she is a cantankerous old bag. If you think of uh, Mrs. Deagle from Gremlins, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with a far fouler mouth. Uh, I, 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 she's, she's a total cow. Oh, she's horrible. She's horrible. And 
smoking in the sandwich shop. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, she she's she's just the worst. I've got to be honest. I don't miss her when she goes. Uh, much less, Andy. I would I would venture as far as to say I was willing for her death. I wasn't necessarily wishing for her death at this point. I was just like, oh, you're a nasty piece of work. You're naughty. But it was when she's leaving the shop and she says to Mac, uh, something like, you're a fucking whore or something like that. Yeah, that's like, unnecessary. But like, oh. but, but she's an arsehole to people that work in food service. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Um, also alludes to Nicholas's crackpot grandfather, which has almost nothing to do with him serving her up a delicious holiday hoagie. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she takes off, she leaves. And to begin with, I thought she was going to get off scot-free, which I would not have been happy about. But she goes off to drive her car home, and I love the visual of old ladies driving cars because all you see is just like knuckles and a bun. I I think it's set up like that, and it makes me laugh. It's like uh, she could barely see over a steering wheel, which really makes me laugh. Quick mention: I can't let it go past uh, for Saul Rubinek as Mister Green. We'll come back to Mister Green. Right? Okay. Um, I'm happy. Yeah, I I yeah, I've got I've got some opinions there. So she chain smokes at the wheel of her car, and I've got to say. I mean, it's all for all in the end, but she is commendably unfazed by the fact that she gets chased down by a maniacal Santa Claus and an actual sleigh. I mean, to not even be remotely vexed by that visual speaks to her character. Yeah, I have to say, and I'm going to say it now, I don't think that's a reindeer. I think that's a buffalo. <laughs> okay. Like, I mean, it's a solid theory. Everything about it screams buffalo to me. The shape, I was looking up buffaloes and I was like, that's a fucking buffalo with a reindeer suit on. It's <laughs> that's a buffalo with a carpet stapled to its back. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, that's possible. I mean, I'm, like, I'm not going to rule that out. I mean, I'd, I'd have to go back and look. but um, unless, it's the, unless the plan all- was to get an animal that vaguely, possibly, maybe looked a bit like a reindeer but was big and muscly like Bill Goldberg <laughs> potentially yeah 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 however like I say her defiance in this situation doesn't really count for a great deal because ultimately she rolls her car and it bursts into flames she doesn't roll her car Santa bashes her off the road flies her through the air into a snowdrift and her car explodes into flames yeah I suppose that's more accurate um, at this point we double back to heaven sent and we do get a kind of a closer look at Mr. Green Nicholas and Mac or Mary Yes. Um, I kind of found what we see of Mr. Green here to be quite charming. Like, see, when he's like kind of, or endearing, maybe say, mm-hmm. like, you know, when he's giving people these presents and he thinks they're great ideas and everybody's like, oh, cool, thank you. When obviously he's given them quite weird things, but it's also, it's all really heartfelt and it's quite nice. And at this point, I was like, Mr. Green seems like a nice man. He's probably going to die. And I'm preemptively sad about that. I think Saul Rubinick brings a real gentle lovingness to the character. I mean, Saul Rubinick, people might recognise him for things like Unforgiven and True Romance. I think for the short amount of time he's in this film, he does a great job. It's a really nice performance, I think. It's really nice. Like, I think it really worked for me. And, like, when I said we'd double back to it, that's kind of what I wanted to get to. I think, like, um, like, I just kind of knew. I was like, he's a goner. That'll be sad when it happens. Yeah, and it's, it's also, like, he's obviously, like, the... Well, I was going to say the token Jewish guy in this town, but there's a few actually that we do see oh, yeah. that we do oh, see later plenty. on. But he's got his uh, he he's got his little Jewish deli, and he's got his enormous menorah. By the way, uh, but also by the way, to any other Jewish friends listening, Happy Hanukkah because it's still ongoing. It is indeed yeah, at the yeah. moment of recording, it's still ongoing. So I, I hope that's going swimmingly for you. I actually hope everyone here has a menorah bigger than this because this is fucking huge. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's a striking visual <laughs> everything fine at this point though um, Mac gives Nicholas a lift home and we find out at this point that Nicholas is a Christmas sceptic he is a Christmas sceptic also want to talk about the bad Christmas themed rap that we get here it's like oh my c- god there is so much ropey Christmas hip hop in this film <laughs> it was as if they couldn't get the rights to Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC so they were like let's just try to do something vaguely similar uh, but we don't really have the money to pull it off to any great degree. That is exactly what it feels like. But Nick basically tells us that he has had a series of disappointing Christmases. He is... Haven't we all? Dis- 
<laughs> he's braced for disappointment every year. Um, he gets home, a bulb blows um, while he's kind of like raking around in the fridge. He goes downstairs to check the fuse box and he's jump scared by the aforementioned crackpot Granda, who Mrs. Talbot so uncharitably brought up in the shop a wee while ago. Yeah, and another character I want to talk about here at length because, again, I think Robert Culp as Grandpa is just excellent the whole way through. He's given some absolutely batshit bonkers things to do and he pulls them all off with just such charm. Robert Culp, again, he's been in every TV show that pretty much ever existed. This was one of his last ever credits before he passed away. He was also in things that kind of show adjacent, like Extra 3 and uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, but probably best known to a lot of people as the narrator in Eminem's Guilty Conscience. No way. Yeah, boy. That is amazing. I think he's really good in this. I like, completely agree with everything you just said. I think that like he's, he's managing this absolutely wild role and kind of filling it with a lot of real kind of pathos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I like this performance a lot. But what we learn about him in the first instance is that he uh, doesn't like people taking the Lord's name in vain. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, to borrow a phrase, prone to wacko inventing binges. Yeah, he is a seller of mad shit and a bunker. Yeah, a whole bunker. Nicholas, uh, on discovery of the bunker, joins the townspeople queuing up to question his sanity. Um, (laughs) He's got multiple monitors set up in this bunker, the purpose of which is kind of originally unclear, although soon becomes fairly obvious. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, um, a street tough unwisely tries to mug Santa. Yeah, I also have street tough written here. Excellent. I really want street tough to just enter the vernacular of this. Absolutely, yeah. And I think this guy trying to jack Santa is, yeah, it's a a fool's errand, to be honest. Well, I mean, he gets his face horsed off a wall and gets thrown into a dumpster for his trouble. Well, before all that even, like, Goldberg's standing there sucking on, like, a Christmas candy cane, and he's done that thing where you kind of suck it so much and so ferociously that you kind of whittle it down into an aggressively sharp sugar point. Yes, and he jabs yeah, yeah. it in that guy's eye, then bashes his head on the wall, then throws him into a bin. This is what I was talking about earlier, about everything that Goldberg does being like entirely over the top and way more aggressive than it has to be. And the film's all the better for that. 100% absolutely agree. Like, See, see that the, like, every time this film needs to deliver on a kill or an action sequence or something, it steps up and gets it 100% right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are some dodgy kind of digital things and stuff going on, but in this film, I didn't mind them at all. I mean, I, oh, no. it's a film oh, called no. Santa's Slay that I, I don't know what the fuck you'd expect, really. Yeah, it, lar- it largely kind of functions as part of the charm for me. Mm-hmm. Also, speaking of that, like we get a little bit more to the bunker as we kind of feed into this kind of expositional bit that we're about to get. But um, the bunker is so heavily like full of like gadgets and booby traps and stuff. It reminds me of the house from Nothing But Trouble. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Including Chekhov's Deadly Nutcracker. Yeah, yes, yep. Wrote that down. But he does go into a safe at this point, or Grandpa goes into a safe at this point, and produces the big book of exposition, which we were briefly introduced to in the opening credits. And we do get a little bit of an understanding of the backstory of precisely what we're dealing with here. So in this iteration of the Christmas story, which I think immediately hurtles into my top three favourite iterations of the Christmas story, Mm -hmm. Santa is actually the child of Satan. His birthday comes every year with many deaths. A festival, a day of slaying. The book in question, worth mentioning, is called The Book of Claws. And we also learn here that there have only ever been two immaculate conception births, one of which, of course, being God and Mary and Jesus. And the other being, I guess, the kind of opposite of that, where the where where Satan stuck his demon seed in some willing hellhound, to quote Ray Stans from Ghostbusters. And yeah, um, the Virgin Erica. Oh, okay, lovely, lovely. And of course, Santa was the spawn. I gotta say, I don't really need too much of a grounding. If you if you're trying to sell me a story where like Santa has gone bad, he's played by bill goldberg and he's gonna kill a bunch of people but yeah i will watch this for 75 minutes that's fine i actually think that this film does a commendable amount of building on a backstory i actually think that the mythology of this is really quite good yeah yeah me too uh because basically like i say like you've got this thing where santa's birthday is normally heralded by all of these deaths and these slayings 
But then he loses a bet with an angel, which means that for a thousand years, instead of that, he has to bring joy to families and children the world over by delivering them presents. I think that's hilarious. Can I also just say, Mitch, the way that this entire story is delivered via, like, stop-motion animation is fucking amazing. It's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I wrote this down as well. When I realised that that was what we were about to get, I was like, I'm so in for this. Yeah, me too. I was like, yeah, show me your weird stop-motion exposition so much show me that. i was so down for it also i love the fact that this high stakes bet was resolved over what is effectively a game of curling yeah yeah there's a lot of curling in this film a decent amount yeah definitely the most curling of any film that we've ever covered M- more than you would that. expect <laughs> yeah i would agree but yeah we do retcon christmas to be the birth of santa which i also think is funny yeah pretty cool mm-hmm. but yeah we basically understand that for a thousand years Santa, the spawn of Satan, has been doing this. He's been dutifully delivering presents uh, to families and children the world over. However, this year, the thousand years are up. Mm. Yeah, uh, we also get a scene, a weird scene here where Mac pops by to visit Nick and comes bearing a plate of hairy wolverine meat for Grandpa. Yeah, this entire thing is really strange. I feel like it's designed to give us a little bit of backstory that we'll need later for Mac's family and also to just kind of plant some seeds of conflict between Mac and Nicholas. Yeah, and that does happen here because she comes bearing gifts. In this case, it's what looks like a gun, but it is in fact an off-brand unboxed Transformer. Yeah, it's a Christmas present for Nicholas, which he's obviously very appreciative of. She also supplies um, some, some freshly caught and cooked Wolverine. <laughs> Delicious. Um, for, for grandpa yeah it looks fucking revolting it's horrible um but they kind of like they settle down and ultimately the conversation that they have like this because it cuts away and we come back to it later nicholas is obviously a little bit self-conscious about the fact that everybody in town thinks that his grandpa is crazy yeah and uh i don't know if like i mean are we to believe that this is mac meeting him for the first time uh no no i, I didn't get that feeling at all they had a relationship that wasn't that of two people just meeting for the first time. They were familiar with one another. Because then he asks her, Nicholas asks uh, Mac when they're sitting on the couch, he's like, oh, he's crazy, isn't he? And she's like, oh no, he's just a little bit strange. And then he starts to absolutely get torn into her dad. He's an absolute asshole here. Yeah, Nicholas does not handle this well at all. He's like, well, your dad's a fucking gun-toting, simple-toting redneck. That's, I mean, like, in more words, that's basically um, that's basically what he says. And I think that Mac's entirely within her rights to be like, you know what, fuck you, and she leaves. Yeah, yeah, and, and she is, what well, worth mentioning, he is blind to her advances because every single moment they are on screen together, she is trying to get into his pants, and he cannot, will not, he will not see that. Yeah, they're very cosy this entire time, and he's almost unbelievably oblivious to the fact that she's definitely into him. Yeah, 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 right, right until the end. However... Running parallel to this, we do have a midnight mass mm-hmm. that um, that everything about is amazing, in my opinion. We have the pastor whose name I don't have. I've just got him as pastor throughout. Happy with that. Um, so I really like. I think, and we've had this a couple of times lately. Um, whether it be this or it be the bug-eyed, sandwich-board, manic street preacher from Frankenhooker. Um, it's another one of them. And I really enjoy this performance where we see this, the, the pastor bit kind of being this kind of bug-eyed evangelical who denounces the commercialization at Christmas and also demands that everybody fills the collection plate with notes rather than coins. The motivations for which will soon become apparent as we head to Gold Diggers. Gold Diggers, the strip bar. Yes. This sequence is very hard to not frame as the piece de resistance of this film for me. It's unbelievable. By the way, the entire body count in this film is 41. Fucking hell. That sounds like a lot, but when I'm playing it back in my head, I guess not. Yeah, and when you think about it, it's a 70-minute 70, 70 film. That's a, that's a decent hit rate for people being knocked off. Yeah, that's more than one every minute and a half. <laughs> Which is that uh, pretty good going. Also, like, so, yeah, so the pastor leaves the service. He goes straight to Gold Diggers, the strip club. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he goes in. I want to talk about the fact that I think it's a really funny, stupid joke when uh, Santa arrives just behind him and the strip club valet, question mark, tries to park his sleigh. Yeah, he can't figure out how to start it. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh. <laughs> it made me laugh too. Uh, and then there's another murder almost immediately when a man is killed by a wreath. Yep, bouncer, strangled with a wreath. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, as it turns out, Christmas Eve in a strip club, lively time. 
I've oh. never been in a strip club on Christmas Eve. Wild, wild, yeah. And we do see precisely what the pastor needed the notes for, revolting. Uh, you'll also find out if you listen to the lyrics of the song here, which are something along the lines of going down to pussy town. Jesus Christ, that's fucking on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> I love that there's a moment in amongst all the carnage where Goldberg stops to wipe the pole with some antibacterial spray. Yeah, um, when he comes in here and everything kicks off, I just, I just, um, oh, I was just like taking notes in real time. I had, the, I had the film open in one window and a word document open in the other. So I just frantically typed, Santa strangles a guy with Christmas lights, dodges hammer and shovel attacks, fends people off of the table, swings across the room on a sex swing, disinfects a stripper pole, <laughs> uses that pole as a murder weapon, uses his brute strength to force someone's pickaxe back into their head, all amidst an absolute storm of nudity. Also mentioned that I think that the MVP death here is 100% the stripper pole um, electrocution. Mm, disagree. Uh, for me, it's the guy who's killed with a pickaxe. It is pretty great. Yeah, that's that's my favourite of and in, in, in the moment. And then what I, I love that because there's a lot of this that just seems like arbitrary murder. It does a bit, yeah. <laughs> but then like Santa's kind of he's done with the club, I suppose, and he's leaving. And he kind of turns around and addresses the room and kind of deems everyone in there naughty. And then emulates them all with like a <laughs> like, like a fireball that he pulls from his pocket. <laughs> Yeah, it's really something. <laughs> and then he gets outside and his buffalo's eating the valley. <laughs> yeah. That made I, me laugh. Yeah, all, all, all of this is all of this is great. Um, so this hasn't unfolded precisely in the order that we've spoken about, but everything's kind of gone where it needs to be. We jump to Christmas Day at this point, and uh, God knows what this will bring. However, it does start as it means to go on, where we see Santa clattering through the back of a ceramic nativity scene and whacking the head off <laughs> jo- uh, Joseph. Yeah. I love the fact that like this film simultaneously, to me, feels like very vulgar, but also kind of weirdly wholesome. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing particularly grimy about it, I don't think. No. Like, I understand no. that it's like it's 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 quite graphic and it's quite violent, but never in a particularly kind of like nasty way. Always just in a way that you can kind of have fun with. And I think that everything about this feels sufficiently cartoonish. Mm-hmm. That like, um, yeah, I don't think you ever get bogged down in the misery of what's actually happening. I think that it's just quite easy to just kind of get swept up in and just kind of enjoy. Yeah, uh, something just came back to me there that I, d- I didn't want to blow by. When we were talking about Nick kind of finding out the facts and stuff about the, the genesis of Santa, uh, how it all came to pass, um, and when he learns it, it's been a thousand years to the day since kind of Santa lost this bet. I love that he jumps on to search engine who ya. Hoo-yah, nice. I didn't know that. <laughs> and he he goes on to you know you, you know uh, there's that Santa Tracker thing which is run by NORAD in America. Like ah. it's it's like a, a website you can take your kids on and they can in inverted commas track Santa Claus in real time. Yeah, I think I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> Instead of NORAD, it was GONAD. <laughs> GONAD, yeah. <laughs> and it made me laugh so much, man. I, I'm so I'm such a fucking puerile little bitch. I was like. <laughs> No, that, that, that made God. me laugh as well, I can't say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but before we move on as well, there's that amazing bit here is, uh, where the pastor's uh, kind of delivering his eulogy for the tragic events of the kind of the night before at Gold Diggers, and he, he kind of tries to get people to join in prayer for the memory of some strippers that have names. I took a down, I only managed to get a couple of their names down, but one of them is Tess Tickler. <laughs> yep. And the other one was Dixie Wrecked. Yep, that's the other one that I got as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, around this time, we cut off into like another wholesome-looking family home with two foul-mouthed children who have their heads deservedly blown off by exploding gag gifts. Yeah, asshole children. No sympathy for them at all. Because I rejoiced in seeing these two kids get their heads blown off. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, absolutely. Like they they deserve it as much as Mrs. Talbot does. Hard agree, absolutely, definitely. At this point, Santa comes from Mr. Green, and yeah, like that preemptive sadness that I had earlier just turned into real sadness because I knew he was going to die. I do have a question though. Mm. So Santa turns up at the deli, heaven sent, smashes his way through the door, and uh, Mr. Green, to his infinite credit, tries to put up a fight um, to yes. kind of fend him off. Yes. What food stuff is he throwing at him that is so hard that it breaks windows? Maybe it speaks to the poor quality of Mr. Green's stock. Perhaps that is, I don't know, some kind of hard Jewish bread. 
I'm not stumping up four seventy five for a festive hoagie at that place if that's the if that's how hard the bread is. Yeah. But um, uh, Mr. Green is killed here by being skewered to the wall by a menorah, which I think is teetering on the edge of hate crime. Yeah, he does. Uh, if you recall, try to defend himself briefly by blinding Goldberg with his Star of David necklace. Yeah, strong move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Santa depicted actually very much as an anti-Semite here because he kills that guy and then goes outside and immediately hisses menacingly at three rabbis. Um, Nicholas goes to a gas station at this point and I feel like we should pour one out for Tommy Lister. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Tommy Lister, our only day's dead. Yeah, left us this week, but I'm uh, in this for all of about a minute and a half and is great. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand his character at all. Uh, to be honest, I don't... <laughs> yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, it's like it's like the guy's working at a gas, uh, gas station. He's extremely grizzled, but he's also in possession of a police radio. He's also incredibly evasive about himself uh, and his motivations and his time of arrival in the town, which led me the first time I saw this to think, is this guy going to have a bigger part to play? Like, is he maybe some kind of angel? Or is he, uh, he going to have a kind of bearing on the plot? But no. No, he absolutely doesn't. Don't think for a minute that he does. Uh, I'm happy to spoil it for you now, because he doesn't. Yeah, no, his participation in this is picked up and dropped as swiftly as uh, Claudette's breast cancer in the room. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gone as soon as it arrived. Absolutely, 100%. Nicholas clocks, though, during this this encounter, he hears the... Uh, the CB radio announcement, the police radio announcement about the um, the assault, the murder. He realizes that's happened to Heaven Sent. He goes there. He stumbles on the murder scene, which is an ugly sight to say the very least. Of very it. much so. Yeah. He then heads to the police station and floats his theory about Santa coming back uh, to go on a murderous rampage, and acts with, I would say, disproportional outrage. Where the police chief is skeptical about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you've got to hear, like, regardless of how certain you are about the veracity of that, you have to be aware of the fact that saying it aloud makes you sound like an absolute fucking lunatic. Yeah, and I think uh, it's bad enough to say, look, Santa's here, Santa's killing people. But see, when you start throwing in little little things, it's the little details that make you sound really crazy. Like, when you, you say that, look, this has only got seven hours to run because Santa works to Greenwich Mean Time. Like, like, whoa, what are you see, talking minute, about? See, the minute that you started lobbing that around, I was like, that's a crackpot theory. That's obviously not going to work. It's like, you're telling me that this guy who has been cursed to do this thing that he hates for a thousand years is now off the clock that when Christmas Eve ends by Greenwich Mean Time, he's going to be like, oh, well, mm, can't kill any more people. Because mm, I remember the first time I watched this, right? When, when the, the film kind of rolls from Christmas Eve into Christmas Day, I was like, shouldn't Santa have fucked off by now? Like, is he not, like, is that not Santa's time up? Is that not his job done? And then when it turned out that we were actually on a different kind of time zone, I was like, oh, okay, right, sure, let's see how this plays out. <laughs> so I was like, right, that's after midnight, it's Christmas Day, he's done He's done his thing, uh, that's it, see you next year. Um... I really like the fact that, um, obviously, the police officer, the police chief's scepticism about uh, Nicholas's story and his theory is immediately disproved because he dies, like, literally in the next scene, mm-hmm. um, as does basically everyone else in that building. Did you notice that when you see the kind of outside of the office with the three guys who are dead, that one of them already has a chalk outline drawn around them? No, I didn't notice that. <laughs> I did notice that there's a cop that walks by with a, a ticking present at arm's length. <laughs> I didn't clock that, that's great. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Also, right into the next scene, Mac has forgiven Nicky for being an absolute wanker. No discussion, we don't learn anything else about it, he, we don't see him apologise. Uh, it's just, things have moved on, it's Christmas Day. I don't know if I necessarily think that she's forgiven him as much as the fact that like they're in the face of unprecedented times, um, incredibly unusual circumstances, and they kind of just have to kind of get their business heads on. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this, this feels more to me like something that they'll address down the line rather than something they've glossed over. But I do hear what you're saying. Um, but they, yeah, they are taken off in uh, the pickup truck that Mac is driving. Um, they think that they're being pulled over by a police chief. Obviously, it's not a police chief. It's Santa. Mm-hmm. What I think is actually a really effective chase sequence happens here. Yeah, I, I just want to say, like, it's evident in this scene, but it's evident in every scene. Bill Goldberg's having a fucking ball with us. He really is, and I think that like 
the fact that you can kind of feel that so much really feeds into how much I like this as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I, like, I, like, I, I don't think that the boy is a particularly good actor beyond what he does um, in WCW or wherever he is now, or wherever, <laughs> like, or wherever he ended up. But um, uh, that's kind of all it needs to be. Like he need like like all he, like he plays a caricature when he does that, and he plays a caricature here. And the fact that he's playing the same caricature doesn't really matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like so, it's, it's, it's a cracking good time. It does get shot here eventually by Nicholas, and uh, and kind of like thrown from the back of the pickup, which he'd been advancing on. But like I say, this is the first of a couple of things that happen that are set pieces that I normally kind of roll my eyes that that I really enjoyed. Okay, like this, like this J sequence where he kind of like goes from following them in the car to like being in the kind of loading bay or the loading deck of the pickup and them kind of scrambling to get the gun loaded and trying to shoot him and stuff like that i think it's called and a nicholas flatbed also, flatbed thank you yeah yeah and like and nicholas trying to like uh having previously obviously uh denounced max dad for being a gun nut then having to struggle to try and load the shotgun like that was a fun callback as well sure yeah <laughs> like a, a lot of kind of a lot of kind of interesting fun stuff going on there i think they do eventually get back to Nicholas's house and kind of try to hide from Santa, as Granta is proven right for all the Santa skepticism. I love how long it takes Nicholas to get into that house. It really does take ages, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah, they do go home and chow down on humble pie because uh, everything that Crackpot Grandpa has said is obviously 100% factually accurate. Around this time also, carolers show up at the door. Uh, I love the scene with the carolers because they're almost immediately annihilated. But everything that happens to those carolers looks like it really hurts. I, I kind of wish that we saw a little more of this because um, obviously one of them, because Santa advances on them from behind and one of them gets kind of dragged backwards by his shoulder into the snow. Yeah. And then another one gets whacked in the head with a shovel. But genuinely, I just wanted to watch him dispatch the rest of them as well. Yeah, I mean, you're not short of Santa-related carnage in this film. This is very true. This is probably the only instance where I was like specifically, you know what, this needs more Santa-based violence. Yeah, no one likes carolers. Everyone in the world is aggrieved at Christmas carols and the singing of carols, the the falsetto. Like, no one wants to listen to carols, right? And Santa's absolutely right here. Santa is the avatar for the audience here and picking these these (laughs) carolers up. He throws one of them kind of up in the air and she lands extremely hard on her face. It's what we want to see. That's what we came to this film for. I heard a rumour somewhere that it's a film that is... I I was led to believe there was more carol-related violence. That's why I sought it out. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, there was enough that I I was sated. Well, I'm relieved to hear that. The more that we hear about this and the more that we see this unfolding, the more we see that Nicholas is putting so many eggs in this basket of uh, when Christmas is over for Santa, he'll just stop slaying people and go home. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Quick score note. Over maybe a period of about 10 or 15 minutes around this time, there is this version of Carol of the Bells, which gets increasingly more frantic as things go on. Yeah. And it's class. Well, actually, I, I have a real good time with most of the soundtrack here. It's all like original songs. They're all kind of written to fit the scene. There's a lot to love in the original score here. I'd actually like to listen to it and listen to the, the soundtrack in isolation. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of cool, fun variations on things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. So continuing my noble tradition of being shocked by characters dying in horror movies, mm. um, uh, Grandpa dies here. It does, yeah. He is wiped out by the buffalo. Yeah, he well, let's say reindeer. Sorry, hell deer. If we're going to be, yeah. if we're going to be really accurate, but um, yeah, he tries to facilitate uh, Nicholas and Mac escaping on uh, kind of little snowmobiles. But in the process of doing that, he does have a standoff with Santa. I didn't understand precisely why they knew each other, and that obviously comes to be explained later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's run over by a hell deer. Yeah, I like that he kind of tries to goad Santa a little bit by talking about how fat he's gotten and intervening one thousand years. Yeah, this kind of like this kind of like shit talking sequence again. Something that I've got like a limited threshold of patience for normally. But I was just like, ha yeah. The entire time this was happening. I think the chase that takes place right after this, once once Granddad's dispatched and and Santa's on the hell deer headed off. Uh, I think the the music, this the song. As much as I just said, I really like this soundtrack, and I do. I think it's entirely inappropriate for so the <laughs> for the the scene in question where. 
they're trying to escape on this snowmobile and Santa's flying above them, throwing exploding grenades down that are really the shape they're in the shape of presents. <laughs> I mean, it's very funny. I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not taking anything away from that fact. It's more I don't feel the song plays enough into the drama or the intensity of the moment. No, you're right. It's a weird choice. It is, but um, like, like as a set piece, I think it's great. But you're 100 percent right. Ultimately, Nicholas and Mac escape to the school. They bust their way in, and Nicholas is trying to help Mac kind of get in there, and he's kind of trying to squeeze her through a small gap. Ten out of ten to Mac here for saying, "Do I have to make every first move in this relationship?" And I think this is cool because. It's the first kind of overt expression of any kind of feelings between those two. Yeah, and I like that 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 lies with Mac. It's not so typically in films like this. It's kind of unrequited love that a young guy has for a girl. That that over the course of the film, she kind of comes round to his way of thinking. I like that that this is kind of the flip of that. Yeah, I think it's really cool actually. Like I'm like I I don't want to let this blow by without um kind of giving it a little bit of airspace because I think that it's quite smart. I think that the entire actual dynamic between them is handled reasonably well, but I like the fact that a lot of the agency is with Mac. Yeah, she's the Helga Pataki to his Hey Arnold. Wow, that is a dated reference. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't think she's quite as intimidating and borderline threatening as Helga. No, I wouldn't say so. I'd say that's really fair. Um, when they get into the school, they find a Christmas gift for Nicholas here, the Nutcracker. Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, there's a hunt and chase through the school here, and this is kind of like herald the start of what is a hunt and chase heavy third act. Now, you know, earlier on I said that like there's a couple of things in here that I associate with being tropes that I don't like in films. Uh-huh. That kind of tip my boxes. I must say, right? Like, So I was having kind of like a moderate amount of fun with this up to this point. And when it locked into the hunt and chase slash final standoff bit, I was like, right, okay, let's do this because this is the part of a film that normally loses me. I'm having an okay time with this right now. It's probably sitting at around about a six or a seven. Let's just see to what extent this flies off the deep end when it has to resolve itself. I actually think that basically everything that happens from here on out is really fun. Uh Yeah. Mm-hmm. and actually kind of like raises the stakes for me in a really nice way and and I'm so used to running out of patience with films at this point that it was really really refreshing when it gets into these kind of like silly and these set piece heavy sequences that I was like yep I'm all in I want to know how this goes it's a Christmas miracle yeah let's call it that that's fine <laughs> and so in Helltown they say Mitch's tolerance for deadly games of cat and mouse grew three sizes that day yeah exactly exactly yeah this actually builds momentum in a way that i feel like momentum normally peters out it's lovely we also get more romantic seeds sown between nicholas and mary before santa comes at them with that big ice cleaner thing that people use on ice rinks that's called a zamboni a zamboni thank you i knew there was a word for it (laughs) um so a big standoff on an ice rink here Um, yeah I think it's like I think it's really funny when Nicholas tries to kind of. It seems to be a lot of people try to dazzle Santa with things in here. Obviously, we had Mister Green attempt to earlier with the Star of David. Uh, Nicholas pulls out a torch here and shines it in Santa's eyes in an attempt to kind of create I don't know some some kind of diversion. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Which is strange. As it turns out, there's a bigger, brighter light to dazzle Santa here in the form of a returning angel. This is class. I've got to say. <laughs> so like, so so Grandpa comes back, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake! Like, I was, I was like, I was like, oh, what kind of flimsy subtext are we gonna get for Grandpa coming back? And we understand at this point that Grandpa is an angel, the angel from the story, mm. who gave up his immortality for an earthly woman. He's Kenny Rogers. He's the gambler. Yeah, and and this retrospectively answers a lot of my questions about the intensity of the uh, rivalry between Santa and Grandpa. Uh, the the Yulsons in general. I um, also just want to touch on briefly, um, just like just like a fun writing moment, I think, because um, he's kind of talking about when Santa's like, "How are you so sure you'd find me?" and all this kind of thing. And uh, his reply was, uh, "You said you'd go to hell and back for me, so I moved to Hell Township." And at this point, Mac just says, uh, "Is your granda always so literal?" Yeah, and there's a couple of really fun throwaway lines um, in this, in, in like in this sequence. But um, also, cool piece of like psychological warfare as well. I like the fact that Santa produces a letter from Nicholas from yes. years ago, mm-hmm. 
from when he was like disappointed by his granddad at Christmas for like bailing on something. I can't remember exactly what the situation is, but basically it's already went. But like yeah. he's like, oh, I don't think that he really wanted to be there. At this point, I was like, I am weirdly emotionally invested in how this is going to turn out. <laughs> yeah, and there's a mention here as well that Nicky is essentially the last remaining Yulson. Yes, yeah, yeah, the last of his kind. Mm. And in an attempt to save his grandson from Santa's clutches, Grandpa decides that what we need is a rerun of the, the bet from a thousand years ago. Another classic example, Mitch, we've seen it a million times, where a bet is resolved by curling. <laughs> Yeah, shop-worn trope. Yep, same game, different stakes. Yeah, I gotta say, it's frustrating to me that, um, so Grandpa goes first, launches a solid first go, but then Santa just launches um, Grandpa Grandpa himself (laughs) uh, down the thing and then presumably into the hole into hell. (laughs) It really bothers me when people agree to stakes and then somebody's like, ah, no, I'm going to do this instead. Mm, Well, I mean... What can you expect, Mitch? He's a, he's, I think we've seen enough of Santa in this film to know that he can't be trusted. Yeah, he's not a man of honour. <laughs> Certainly not, no. Like, um, but like, but when I was like, oh, fuck, I was like, I actually really wanted to see this like resolve itself in a devil went down to Georgia type like square goal. Right, okay. So when like, I did that, I was like, oh, fuck you. Like a real sweaty final fight from Rocky game of curling. 100% like, yeah, like Mighty Ducks style Denimong is what I was after like Bill and Ted versus Death <laughs> at Battleships precisely this yeah like, like yeah like, like, it's like I, I, I wanted the entire stakes of the movie to be whittled down to this one curling competition however that doesn't happen what's amazing here is when uh, Nicky turns around to Santa and he's like you're fucked it that's it your time's up you've got to get out of here now that's it you're done and Santa's like, the North Pole's where all time zones converge. I'll tell you when the fucking game's over, not you. And I was like, yeah, Santa, yeah, kick his fucking ass. I must admit, yeah, genuinely, I was, I was, I was like, this boy has been putting way too much stock in this this entire time. He's overdue a rude awakening for the ridiculousness of this theory. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So Santa decides he's going to blow a fireball at Nicky, but Nicky pulls that nutcracker and I'm going to say fires it fires something from it, a projectile that ricochets Santa's projectile back upon himself. Into his shoulder. Mm. And at this point, we also realise that Grandpa hasn't fully descended into hell. He's, like, dangling on a cliff face. <laughs> this is a tussle that they ultimately win. Sure. <laughs> they, they they kind of, like, temporarily at least kind of, like, dispel Santa. They get Grandpa off the, off the cliff face to hell. He can't fall with him back into the real world, which I appreciate. I think that that would have been too neat. I like the fact that they got to a point where Grandpa was like, "This is where I leave you." Yeah, is it, does he just ascend then? Who can say? Yeah, but like, um, but I like the fact that he was like, "Oh, you guys do you," but I'm just gonna have to go do whatever this is from here on out. Godspeed. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, yeah. But when they get back on land, things get really crazy. I do feel like there was maybe five or ten minutes missing. Because what happens and kind of how, certainly how they managed to pull Santa from the sky and kind of, I guess, level the playing field a little bit is actually kind of how the film ends. And I feel, I feel like there was more that could have been done to bring the final battle together. Do you know what I mean? I would say that for a film that a couple of times so shamelessly tries to pad its runtime. <laughs> That there was actually like a point where you could have fleshed this out a little bit more because this feels a little bit rushed to me because they get back up to like the surface and we find Mac's dad but there's this very hasty explanation of what needs to happen and then uh, Mac's father just dutifully shoots down the sleigh with a bazooka. Well, they, they kind of they run into this group of hunters and they essentially get the hunters to, to help them by saying that a flying buck would be the ultimate reward. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Like the, the, the greatest trophy you could get. Um, I think that's pretty much how they, uh, that's pretty much how they kind of like trick everyone into immediately taking up arms that they immediately have to hand to bring the sleigh down in a flurry of gunfire, shells, bombs, rockets. Yep, and buffalo meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the sleigh hits the deck, and um, the pastor, who we had previously seen in the Santa suit, by happenstance, is ultimately framed for uh, the atrocities that we've seen happen. Yeah, he's impaled on a, an American flag. 
<laughs> because symbolism. Yep, church and state reunited again, Mitch. <laughs> um, so for all intents and purposes, and we do get a resolution to our um, kind of like our romantic B story. Yeah, yeah. Nick kind of accepts his life as a Santa hunter, and the fact that it's just beginning. He's got a whole life ahead of him, presumably now, keeping one eye on the skies and one eye on anyone with a with long white hair and a white beard. Yeah, it seems like he's just like signing himself over to like a life of servitude in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the last remaining Yulson. We know that. However, we do also discover that Santa himself has escaped on a plane. Yeah, he's uh he's away heading away back home to the North Pole via Canada. He is dressed hilariously like a biker at the airport. Oh my god, it's incredible! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely uh, remarkable scenes. Yeah, and, uh, that's that's kind of how the film how the film ends. I have to say, I've got a lot of love for when the credits roll and the cast and crew have got green ticks or red crosses beside their names. Yeah, the naughty nice thing. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was quite sweet because it kind of it goes through like. Not just the kind of cast, but I think it, I think it starts kind of getting into the crew as well, which is which is nice. Yeah, really fun, and I think like probably a, I was going to say a fitting end. We do have a post-credit fourth wall breaking from Santa. Yeah, where he turns to the camera and delivers the line "Who's next?" Which anyone who was a fan of wrestling in the kind of late nineties would know that when Bill Goldberg was on his unbelievable somewhere in the region of one hundred and seventy to zero winning streak, that was like his catchphrase. Okay, I didn't realize that. I I was not a studious WCW guy. Sure, sure. You know, that's you're 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 all the better for that because it was challenging at times. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. To be honest. <laughs> um, but with that, we're out on um, Santa Slay. Andy got a hand it to you. This was a great show. I really liked this actually, and I liked it more as it went on. I kind of assumed that I would be <laughs> more into it in the first half when you get to the the initial rampage and the kind of story building. And that stuff is also fine, I want to say. Like, um, you know, like, the the murders are cool, the set pieces are fun, they're imaginative, the performances are good. Like you say, there's a couple of kind of minor characters here that I think are doing really good work. Mm -hmm. I think that um, the film's got a really, really firm commander its tone. It has, like like I say, it does this thing, it's like this weird balance between being kind of, like, weird and violent and gory, but also, like, not too nasty to stop being fun like i think it's just like yeah. I, I think that it, it it knows exactly the kind of film that it wants to be and it never loses a grip of that the entire time uh i think that goldberg like we say he's, he's neat doing a massive amount that we haven't already seen him do it doesn't matter that's all he needs to do it's it's um it's really good um but i think that what really struck me about this from my point of view and like i say particularly considering what I normally find to be kind of quite tiresome tropes in films like this. When we got to the third act and we got to the points like the big set pieces and the chase sequences and stuff like that were the kind of things where I tend to zone out, as you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> when I, 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 like The film leans so hard into that and gets those things so right that it kind of, like, for one thing, it kept me engaged, but also, if anything, it got me more engaged. And I think that that's <laughs> kind of interesting. I think that um, is interesting. That's that's interesting to hear you say that. That's not something I hear you say often because I know how quickly you tune out. Even at the shortest chase sequence, you're like, ah, give me a shout when this is done. Yeah, I'm kind of like, he's like, oh, he's either going to catch them or he isn't. So, like, can we just like, get to that bit so I know what happens next? Um, so, the longer these things tend to spin out, the thinner my patience tends to get. And I didn't have that problem at all with this. I actually I really enjoyed it. And like I say, I think that by about the 40, 50 minute mark, I was certain that I thought it was okay. Right. Um, and I actually came out enjoying it a fair bit more than I expected to. So um, I would say for the third year in a row, um, a solid shout for a Christmas selection. I would say that it's probably my favourite still Christmas Evil. Then probably this, then Jack Frost. But I like them all. Sure. I have a massively great time with this. I think it's... It's very silly. Everyone involved, there's no one here who doesn't know what it is that they're doing and what the product is going to be. Absolutely agree, and you've made a good point there as well, because we spent a lot of the time tonight saying that Bill Goldberg is not doing a massive amount that he doesn't already do as a wrestler, but you're right, if anything, it's like a caricaturish version of that, where he's allowed a little bit more free reign, and when that does happen, you do see him having fun with it. Oh yeah, yeah, and I love that everyone just knows that this is what they're making and they're kind of reveling in it. And it's just, it's nice to see that. Like, Yeah, I think there's an, an awful lot of joy to be found in Santa's sleigh. I agree. Yeah, I mean, this is accessible and it's a really good time. 
like I, like, I rented it on uh, Amazon Video, so you can definitely get it there. Presumably, the other platforms have it as well. But yeah, like um, in terms of like offbeat Christmas films and off offbeat Christmas horrors, I think for, like I am kind of surprised that it's taken me this long to get around to this actually. Oh, that's nice. But um, with that, we're done with this one, and we are done with the main feed for the year as well. Yeah. I think I speak for everyone when I say that no one is particularly going to miss 2020. Yeah, I would agree. But what I would say also is that like this was the year, just so happened to be the year, that we decided to try and grow this a little bit, try and kind of sprout the platform a little, see how many people would follow us into that. That's worked out in a really amazing way, entirely because of the support of you guys. And the fact that when we hit a point where a lot of people had very little that they were able to do. I can, like, for, like me, me included, a lot of the things that I associated with being comfortable that I couldn't do anymore, it was really fun to have this backbone of people who were really into this, and then it just turned into this kind of broader, bigger community where people had fun, recommended each other bad movies, good movies. The interaction that we've been having, especially in the last few months, has been amazing. And I would like to think that I'm not the only one to say that I think that it's been a wee bit of a life raft at times. Yeah, it's weird when we're doing something like this because we do this at least twice a week, every week. Yep. And there there is certain points when we're doing this where our heads do go down a little bit. And I would say more so in the kind of the first half of lockdown. There was points where we were like, "What the fuck are we doing, man? Like, can we can we be bothered doing this?" But over the past few months, we've really heard people saying that it's having a real positive impact on them. The fact that we are still doing this and we're still making people laugh week in week out um, has really been kind of pushing us, I think, and preparing us to not just keep doing the show, but keep doing it to what we perceive anyway to be a high standard and to be kind of still pushing ourselves to up the standard of our guests now even kind of coming towards the end of our third year doing this fucking hell um and it's that thing that you guys give us and that kind of feedback that we get from you guys that pushes us to keep wanting to do this and keep wanting to do it better and bigger and keep pushing to give you guys the, the best show that we can and the fact that you guys are all still here and you're listening and there's more and more of you coming to us all the time, it's just massively heartwarming. And for me, this has been probably my favourite year that we've done this at all. It's not been always been easy, but it's I would say it's been the most rewarding for me. I totally agree. I think that things like um, when we did the 100th episode and we did the live one mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for uh, Prom Night 2, uh, that was amazing, but like, yeah, as we hit kind of lockdown and we just because we, we had no idea how things like watch alongs and uh, live episodes and things like that would work, and the only reason that they did work is because you guys have been so responsive and so fun and often so much funnier than we are, and yeah, I'm kind of hoping that when kind of life hopefully returns to some kind of semblance of normality next year, we'll still keep doing those things. I think that we're in a good spot and. The reason that we've come out of this so optimistic about what's going on next is because there was a time where we were just kind of like looking for a little bit of support and we got it in an unbelievable way. Yeah, it's it's really been inspiring and massive thanks to all you guys for listening. Like We say it most weeks, we, we tell you that there wouldn't be any point in us doing this show if it wasn't for you guys because it would literally be me and Mitch sat in a living room talking shit about films, which is what we did when we decided to start doing this show. <laughs> so... Yeah, thank you so much, guys, for coming back week on week, twice a week, maybe three times a week, maybe more if we'd also do a bonus old and Patreon things. It's it's wild that you guys keep listening to us. And huge, massive thanks to everyone who has come on as a guest this year. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Whether it was your first time on the show, whether it was your second or third time on the show, Jill, uh, <laughs> just thank you for taking time out of your schedules. Because... You haven't all been quiet this year. It's not like we've all been sat around scratching our arses. People are still out there making things. People are still out there making moves, making films, writing books. And that anyone takes time out of their schedule to come and talk to us, we don't take it for granted. And we massively appreciate the time that you guys give over to come and do that. So thank you to every single one of you for doing that. And Mitch, thanks to you. And you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, like, I, I agree with you. I think that, like, um, I think that this year has been the one that's probably asked the most and has been the best and has been the most fun and it's 
made me most confident to want to keep doing it. Also, Judge, it's been amazing to meet more of you this year and make friends with more of you. And I want to keep doing that because this is largely what this is about. And to see you guys make friends with each other, that's class. We we love doing this. We're going to keep doing it. And we hope you stick around to do more with us. Yeah, and what we really, really want is to get everyone in our room in 2021 and just do another fucking live show with people in the room, safely breathing the same air and just really have fun with it and have a laugh and just enjoy being around people again yeah that's kind of the dream not to say that we won't be back in your feeds with anything between now and the end of the year we will for official purposes be back on monday the 4th of january mm-hmm. with another mini sode yeah absolutely i look forward to it immensely already i'm thinking oh man what am i going to do with myself well you better get some nature gone wild stuff watch for a start yeah well i really only need to watch one I suppose it's true. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's about great demand. I need to watch one in three weeks. I'm sure I'll manage that. Um, we will be in touch. We'll be figuring things out over the festive season. But if you want to get in touch with us, of course, there are multiple platforms on which you can do that. Yeah, and please, please do keep getting in touch with us over the Christmas period. Just because we're not putting out any more episodes until the start of January, officially. We're still going to be around. We're still going to be manning the socials. Like We're not just going to disappear. Yeah, I'm still going to be there, and I'm still going to desperately need validation. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. If you want to start listening to all the episodes from the start again, feel free. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us at Strong Violent PC. You can email scenes at gmail.com, and you can, of course, join the bad movie club that is our Facebook group, The Chadlocker. If you're on our Patreon, thank you so much. We we love you immensely for, for dipping into your own pockets to support this. If you're not on our Patreon, you can be. Check it out, patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes. We've got a bunch of merchandise coming that'll be coming out to people in the early new year, so please get involved. We'll be back officially on the 4th of January. Join us then if you can. All the best for the holiday season. Thank you so much for everything this year. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>